Hey there, fabulous teacher. Have you been wondering how to make writing time in your classroom more effective for your students? Do you want your students to love writing time? If so, I think it's time for you and I to start transforming your writing instruction. I'm Melissa Morrison, and I have a passion for helping teachers to feel confident in teaching writing and help them grow successful writers. I've worked with numerous teachers to guide them through this transformation, and in this podcast, I bring you the practical strategies you need to make writing the best time of your day. Let's get going. Hey there, writing teacher. I am so happy to have you here today, and you're going to be super happy because I get to talk to Mr. Jacob Chastain, the author of Teach Me Teacher, as well as Rightfully Empowered. And I am thrilled. Um, He and I are going to have so much to talk about. So I want to introduce Mr. Jacob Chastain. Hey, thank you for uh, bringing me on. It's always fun to switch roles and uh, sit in the hot seat for a bit. (laughs) Good, good. Well, I hope you still feel that way after after we talk. (laughs) So do you mind just sharing what you would like to about yourself for the listeners? Yeah, I am a educator. I'm a speaker, trainer, curriculum writer, author, podcaster. I'm probably best known for the podcast Teach Me Teacher, though I have a second podcast all about reading and writing with my uh, co-partner, my co-host, Pam Ochoa at Craft and Draft. Um, I love talking about education. I taught middle school the vast majority of my career. I've been a literacy coach, and now I'm an assistant principal at a 6A high school in the state of Texas. Um, So I've seen kind of a wide range of English and literacy-focused practices. Um, And I would say that my general focuses of topics that I love to talk about and that I feel like are things that I can speak to are... Uh, trauma-informed teaching, but also reading and writing workshop, which I'm completely obsessed with. And I love talking about it and diving into and helping others um, see how workshop practices, if not the full workshop formula, can really support educators and most importantly, support families and kids and their uh, ability to get where they need to be in literacy and find their own voice in Uh this crazy world that we Uh live in. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I am also a workshop fanatic. Um, I believe in it very much. And I, you know, I think that everybody has a different idea of what workshop means. So I'm curious, actually, now that you say that, what does it mean to you? And then what do you think are some of the misconceptions about it? Workshop to me is when we set up parameters in a classroom for kids to work on skills within a wide range of choices that they make. And so what that means is if we are working on creating or using figurative language in our writing, um, often these practices are seen in a very simple way, right? You'll often, we'll start with identifying, right? Can we identify metaphors, similes, hyperboles? Um, And we'll do those activities. And they'll say, okay, you need to write something, but you have two metaphors and three similes, right? Often these are controlled into this, you need to write this in poetry. Um, And workshop is a little bit different in that sense to where, yes, we have our standard. We're talking about how figurative, how we can use figurative language, how figurative language affects a piece, how uh, it connects to bigger ideas, whatever version of the standard that you're looking at versus the reader or writer uh, side. 
And rather than saying, you have to go do this now, it's let's analyze it, see how it works. And then let's set goals to work on this in our own writing, because figurative language exists in all writing. It exists in music. It exists in articles. It exists in argumentative essays. It exists in personal narratives. It does exist in poetry. It exists in fiction. So why would we ever say you have to write something very specific in order to work on that standard. And so workshop to me is saying, here's our goal. This is what we're working on. Now, as your teacher, as your fellow writer mentor, I'm going to set up a space for you to where we look at model text that do what we're talking about. And then I'm going to free you to go off and see how this works in your own writing based on what you want to do. Now there's always in rightfully empowered. I talk about, because uh, there's this misconception that of of workshop that it's kind of like free writing, right? And I've always right. differentiated this. Um, it took a long time for me to learn how to articulate this for people, mm -hmm. but it's workshop isn't free writing or free reading. It is reading with a purpose within your own choices and uh, your own agency over what you're learning. And so what I mean by that is, we have our standard, we have our model text that we're doing. From there, that model text as the teacher, I'm gonna to try to pick something that inspires you to think about something else. It's not just gonna be, oh, this has good figurative language. It's, no, this has figurative language, but it also has themes of <clears throat> abandonment. It has themes of overcoming. It has themes of um, being faced with tribulations and not knowing what to do. And so my aim is to go, yes, we're studying this, we're hitting this in our standards, we're talking about figurative language, but I'm also going to talk about the bigger ideas here. So now when you go off and you write your responses, when you go off and you connect to this, and I'm telling you, it's basically I'm filling up your cup so you can empty it onto the page. Not once am I saying you have to write about this. Not once am I saying it has to look like this. All I'm saying is we're talking about figurative language today. We're talking about these ideas. What does this make you want to write about? What does this sound like in your life? And so workshop now becomes kids are writing because I'm not controlling them. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm trying my best to inspire them and to teach them the standards. And then they have a lot of time to figure out how that works with what they are wanting to say. And that's different from free writing because free writing is okay. We're writing for 30 minutes. Go. It's like, no, that's not what I'm telling you to do. What I'm telling you to do is analyze this. Now let's see how this works in your pieces. And I think that right there, there's a lot of other ones that we could talk about and we probably will. But to me, that's a core relationship of what workshop is and what it's not. And it's once you have that focus as the educator, workshop starts making sense for everyone involved, including the kids. And then they end up really loving the process. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I think too, um, what kind of goes along with that for me, sometimes people think workshop is just this structure. Mm-hmm which it is, right? You want to yeah. have a structure of this sort of lesson of some sort, you know, mini lesson or what have you, and the time for them to work together and for you to work with them. Um, share time is something that, you know, um, typically is seen at that as that circle or that, you know, that's the structure of those three things. But it's also this idea and mindset of students having autonomy and agency over their work. And yeah, it's, just to piggyback off you, it's it you're workshopping through pieces. You're workshopping through ideas. Right. Right. It's it's we are 
we we take kids to PE, to athletics, to whatever, to soccer practice, baseball practice. And how do we learn? Yes, we show them and we demonstrate, but then we let them play. We let them make mistakes, right? We we let them when they're the they're batting, right? They drop their shoulder. We let them do those things so we can go say, hey, if you would hit more, if you did this, why don't you try this technique? We watch them and we say, hey, you're you're kind of I've realized that you're you're faster, right? This is kind of like you love to run fast. So let me teach you how to lead off the base a little bit so you can steal more bases. That's how we we teach sports this way innately because you know you have to experience it. But a great coach looks at their players and says, you know, not everyone's a point guard, but not everyone has to be a point guard, right? Not everyone is going to be a certain type of rider, but our job is to be their riding coach in the sense that this is where you're at as a rider. And so the challenge and the mastery teaching that happens is what do I need to do next to move you in the right direction? Because I have my curriculum. Curriculum is not changing, right? We're in the district. We, we have our mandates. We have everything that we have to do. That's not changing. So we have that. So I'm teaching this, but when I'm with you and we're working on our writing and you're going through your pieces and you're working through your language, it's on me to go, God, what do I, what's the next piece of advice I need to give? What's the next piece of encouragement I need to give? What's the next skill that I could point out that they could do that's not overwhelming? Um, and that to me is really this art of workshop that gets me excited because one lesson turns into potentially 25 lessons in the day. Now they're not full on lessons, but it's just this, this exciting energy that um, is really addicting once you start doing it. Right. Because you hear what the students take on it, what their, the writers take is on it and the things that come up for them. And then that's like, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, we can talk about this. Um, I think some of my listeners, if they are, if they are repeat listeners are thinking, did they practice that ahead of time? Because I have used the sports analogy several times. Mm -hmm. um, I use soccer a lot. And I've also recently used the high jump because when I went to watch my daughter go to a training session, every single move the trainer made made me think about conferring with writers. Um, and so when I think about too, a lot of teachers who are really focused on the writing itself, you know, in that expectation, um, I think about, you know, when you are, co if you're coaching a soccer team, you don't expect those players to have a perfect game, right? There's no, you can't have a perfect game. Everyone can't do the same thing. Um, they're not going to learn the skill that you taught last week or the last few practices and, and do it at the next game, right? Your idea, your job is to see where they are. So you have to know them. And, and that's a whole nother thing to talk about. Cause I think a lot of times teachers don't even know what their kids are capable of doing as writers. Mm -hmm. But when we know what they are able to do, and then we help them with the things they need to do, uh, you know, individually, like what is the next thing that this player needs in order to get better at the next game? So the idea is the growth and the progress, not to get them to be this master soccer player by, you know, the next game. So I have definitely used that before. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, to think about it that way. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting shift in uh, just the, the, the focus of what role does the teacher play? Because when I started teaching, right. And a lot of us had teachers like this to where the teacher went up there, they gave you the assignment and then you did the assignment and that's what it was. Um, and 
I taught that way to start too. Right. And you know, I would say, this is what we're doing. This is the assignment go. And I was like, why don't kids care? Why don't they want to do this? Right. right. And my initial fix to that was doing larger than life lessons. Right. I became obsessed with the Ron Clark Academy and get your teach on and just, you know, classroom transformations and really setting up awesome experiences for kids. And I still fully believe in those practices. I think they're awesome, Mm -hmm. but what I started developing, you know, when I started reading, you know, Donald Graves and Nancy Atwell, Penny Kittle, uh, Kelly Gallagher, um, it was that I really wanted to focus on how do I get kids to be super engaged and focused and care about their stuff, but through really specific teaching. And so I just started removing stuff from my classroom. Mm-hmm. I started saying, what am I, what is not reading and writing? And how do I get all of that out of the way mm-hmm. as much as I can? And so I started going through and really diving in to how do I, what does it look like if I, if I try to make every assignment something that kids get to choose to write through? Can I, is that even possible? So it was almost like a challenge to myself. Um, mm-hmm. And it really was, it became this addiction for me where it was, you know, I'm going to, set up this series of four mini lessons to really get kids to hone in on what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to set them free and I'm going to guide them through conferencing. I'm going to guide them through actually coaching. I'm going to show my own writing and write in front of them. And we're going right. to talk about writing as writers. And what happens is kids start using writerly language. They start talking like writers. They start interacting with their pieces like that, but it's because they, it shifted from me walking around as the arbiter of what is good and holy in writing Mm -hmm. where they just turn in something. And I say, Nope, these 10 things are wrong. You've lost 20 points on your piece. Right. And it it became something to her like, Hey, Chastain, can you look at this and give me advice? Can you tell me what, like, why is this line struggling? What, where's my idea falling short here? And it completely transformed the conversations I was having with young writers. And it was, it was incredible. Yes, it is incredible. Um, I find that I think maybe what is a little bit more difficult at times for teachers of the primary grades is Mm -hmm. that you have to do a little bit more teaching of how students can do those things, right? So for them to talk about their writing, for them to work together with a partner, you have to teach and model those things. And so when I bring up something like that or, or want to have them, you know, kind of talk about that, I, I say you have to teach it. For, and you do too, right? I mean, you, and I was sure. reading in the book how you say, I use the vocabulary so that they will learn the vocabulary and, and all of that. Um, but they probably pick up on it a little bit faster than those kindergartners and first graders. You know, we have to go over it again and again and again, but we also have to honor the way they are talking about it. Right. So, and learn from the things that they are saying, you know, I always Mm -hmm. say that every conversation you have with even these little ones, if I say, um, you know, how did you come up with your idea? Or even when I come to them and just say, Hey, how's it going? What are you working on? And they can't answer that question. So I have to help them answer it, you know, as a writer. Um, But I think that's definitely difficult um, because, and as you said before too, a lot of times when you start, you said in the book, when you start workshop, it goes great. And then it starts to get a little snag in it um, for whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of things, but we have to keep, keep going. Yeah. yeah. I think 
the, I mean, for young writers, especially, you know, I taught sixth grade, the vast majority of my time. And, mm -hmm. you know, in Texas, uh, the way our curriculum is, uh, you know, a lot of teachers kind of innately skip over writing because it's only tested a handful of times or it was that's changed now. Right. Um, but the, you know, it was like they write in fourth grade and they don't in fifth and then they get to sixth and they really don't. And then seventh, they had another writing test and then they don't have one in eighth. And then in high school they had them. And so <laughs> it was this really like big gap in right. writing education. Um, and what I learned though, is that both with sixth graders and when I went down and I uh, was a literacy coach and I was going down to elementary and really talking to those kids and going through that process, it was just teaching them, like asking them, like, what is a writer? Right. What does a writer do? Like, do writers write all times or at all times when right. they sit down and to write? Is it a full 30 minutes of writing? Right. I don't know. There some of them like, I don't know. What do you think? I'm like, I don't think so. I was like, when I write, Often I stare off into the abyss. I turn on music. I get distracted, right? And so kids are like, oh, I don't have mm -hmm. to sit there and write because what happens in writing classes? Like, all right, we're writing for 20 minutes. Don't stop. Why? Like what, at what point, like I understand the thought behind that. You want kids to put as many words on the page. You're trying to generate all of this. And I think that's interesting. And I think it's fine, but it's also, we got to have more tools in the toolbox. We have to understand that we have to look at what real writers do do and real writers they they mingle they a lot of writing happens in the head right before it ever comes to the page writing happens after inspiration it happens when something triggers a thought it happens when you're angry it happens when you want to reflect and so creating a classroom that honors that time right and this is a tricky one because you're i'm saying give your writers time to not write also but it's different because I'm not sitting at my desk when this is happening. I'm not answering email when this is happening. Mm -hmm. I'm conferencing. So I'm walking by and let's say Ashley is sitting there and she's not really writing, but I said, Hey, what, what's your, what, what type of thoughts are you thinking today about your writing? And so if she has some cool, we take some notes, like, look, I don't want you to keep doing this. Keep thinking about where you want to go. I'm going to cycle back maybe at the end of class to see where you're at. So end of class, I check with her still no words. <laughs> She's still able to talk. And I said, you know what, tonight, I really want you to keep thinking about this. When you come back, you're gonna be the first kid I talk to you. So I'm setting that expectation, right? Let's say day two comes. She's like, Chastain, I thought about it all night. Honestly, I have nothing to do. And then maybe now it's a little bit more of a pointed conference, but it never becomes you haven't written, you're going to get a zero. Cause mm -hmm. all I'm training them to do is that writing isn't theirs. They're performing for me. Mm -hmm. And that's not my goal. I want them to understand and to realize that writing serves a heck of a lot of purposes. And a lot of them, um, fit into their emotional, just well being if they use it in, in certain ways. And so it's that constant connection to the kids that tightens up when we say, okay, let's make our classrooms a place where writers can mingle and they can get distracted and they can kind of, you know, live the writerly life. It's not just, it's a free for all It's No, we're still thinking about writing. We're still, when we're reading, we're thinking about what ideas we're going to get from. We're still brainstorming. We're doing all of these things. The expectation is that you're going to meet with me during this time so that I can understand where you're at and I'm going to hold you accountable, but it's not this oppressive, you have to get this done now. And I think it's, it's a subtle shift, but I think it's significant. Oh, it's, it's so significant. Um, and I, I think it's like, for some reason we take away the real part of, of writing or even just being a person, right. Just mm -hmm. being a, a person who has something to do 
you and I, uh, when I do training, a lot of times I just ask teachers to write and sometimes I give them a different scenario. So like one group has a scenario where I'm telling them everything that they have to do and the other one I'm not. And we reflect on what's that, what that's like. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, it's the same exact things for your writers, right? All the things that we've talked about is exactly the same for them. Like, why do we think that it's not? <laughs> why do we think it's different when our students are writing that they don't need breaks or that they don't need time to think or that they don't get distracted? We just think they have to sit and they have to write and they have to be quiet sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, how is that going to help? Um, how is that going to get them to write? And we're saying how you do kind of, start to get a little bit more um, specific about how you can help them. And and instead of um, prompting or what have you, as you see the trouble that they're having. And it just made me think too, that regardless of where they are as a writer, if you try to control it or just give them too much, it's not helping them. Like you might actually get them to comply to put something on the page, but it's not helping the real issue that they're having and 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 what they need to learn how to maybe overcome or get better at in the future. Um, and I, you know, I've talked about that a lot too, where I like to use Jennifer Saravala's um, hierarchy of writing goals that comes from mm-hmm. her writing strategies book. And it really just um, talks about how, well, first of all, we know when we look at a piece of paper, we see the grammar and the spelling mistakes, right? That's what jumps mm-hmm. out to us. We don't see what's happening with our students in their mind before that gets there. And what uh, Jennifer Saravallo has at the bottom of her hierarchy, which for her is how she sets goals. And so she doesn't believe anything is more important than the other. She just says, if a student is not able to like engage in their writing, then they're not going to be able to do all those other things, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not able to um, generate ideas, then they're not going to be able to do all these other things. And so um, like, for example, if you have a first grader who doesn't engage in writing, doesn't sit down, doesn't put anything on their paper, if you sit next to them and say, okay, what should we write about? Oh, do you have a dog? Great. Let's write about your dog. Okay, great. What should we say first? Okay, great. Write that down. Well, you might have something on the paper, but you haven't figured out what his his deal is. You haven't figured out what is he's struggling with. You haven't figured out what he knows about writing or if he's interested or not, or if he's unconfident. And so we have to find that out, right? Or we're never going to, you might have them have that writing done today, but what's going to happen tomorrow? Yep. Well, and this, I mean, it, it holds over, uh, to high school, you know, when I came to the high school level and I started seeing these, these young writers still, you know, a lot of them have just very specific beliefs about how writing happens because they've Mm -hmm. only ever been told you should do this. And this is what you should do. And that writing equals writing. Like there's nothing more personal than taking your thoughts and articulating them onto, a piece of paper. It is, it right. is a personal endeavor. They are your, they're your internal being coming out into the physical form, not to get too ephemeral right. about it, but it's true. And so it's very personal. And this is why people are so self-conscious about it, mm-hmm. right? It tells your writing says so much about your biases, about your beliefs, about your passions, about your education level, about your experiences in the world, all without ever talking about any of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when someone, when you have a steady diet from the first grade until the 11th grade, 
of everything you write is criticized by someone in power, guess what? You're not going to want to do. You're not going to want to write. And it's it's going to stifle your willingness to take risk and to try new things mm -hmm. and to experiment and to really try to work out like, what do you actually think? There were, you know, uh, in rightfully empowered, there's so many, I, I was talking about, there's so many poems in there because the, the group of kids that I worked with, um, they, they were, it, it was a title one school. They mm -hmm. were kids who didn't have a strong literacy background. They did not have strong, they, a lot of them were English language learners. Mm. And so uh, we had to work on mechanics. We had to work on grammar, but I never was ever going to get them to retain those grammar things. If we ever, uh, if, if I never got them to care about what they were writing in the first place, right? because they weren't writing enough to master the mechanics, right? Absolutely. It's not enough to just go on no red ink and correct sentences all day mm -hmm. or whatever program you're mm -hmm. using. It's just not. Mm -hmm. um, and so the poetry thing came about on accident because what I did was I had these kids who were struggling to write sentences, right? Mm -hmm. They weren't putting periods anywhere. It was just a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, so the period conversation isn't working. They've been taught, it was, I was teaching seventh grade at the time. I was like, this, they've been told this a million times. So what can I do differently? So I, I, I sat with this one kid and we're in a conference and he had this like block of a paragraph that was just, I mean, literally no grammar whatsoever, just straight words, but it was good. It was, a, he, it was about uh, something with his family. Right. And it was, there were the ideas were there. It was passionate. He cared about it. Mm -hmm. It was just atrociously written. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, look, this is what we're going to do. I want you to type all of this up. So I had him type it up. And then what I had him do is I said, look, everywhere you kind of pause in your head, I want you to hit enter and drop it down. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I essentially taught them line breaks through this. Right. And then once I did that, we started going, okay, so now look at this. Let's see how accurate just your intuition was. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, it brought us to the idea of this is where commas maybe should go. This is where periods should go. And so that's where the, the, my obsession with poetry came from, not because I love poetry specifically, but because it gave kids the freedom to start thinking of structure. Mm -hmm. And if I could get them to think of structure and to think about the, the feel of a sentence or the feel of a phrase or a word, now we can start going, okay, do you see why uh, this type of sentence hits this way, right? When something's intense, why shorter sentences can really drive up the tension or when you want to draw out a thought, an idea, an emotion, maybe a longer, more flowery sentence might work. And those conversations started happening all because I said, write what you want to write. Now let's figure out how to structure it. And it was so much less pressure because I wasn't saying this was wrong. This was this. It was more of like an invention to them. I was like, what if we dropped it here? Drop that, break that line, see what right. happens. Right. And then they start thinking about phrases. And then once we started writing essays and, uh, you know, argumentative pieces and whatnot, guess what happened? They were more able to comprehend when we were working on structure and sentence structure and it was none of it came from grammar practice. None of it came from sitting there and going through a PowerPoint of what all the little grammatical ticks were. That stuff comes with time. What I need them to understand is how language flows and feels, and then we can kind of get the mechanics behind it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Thank you for sharing that because it's a really interesting way to think about how they, I mean, I can just imagine after all that work with line breaks and oh, when they go to write, they just think they're going to think about it more. 
it's, yeah. it's they're gonna notice wow i paused there maybe i could put a period and it's gonna start to happen when they're writing um mm -hmm. as well as when they're going back and rereading it um when you mentioned too about the practice, right? Things take time. And it just made me think, imagine if we were starting to write more because, you know, a lot of us don't do much writing, but if sure. we were starting to write more and we notice, wow, I really tend to write short sentences or I really tend to write long. And then you think I want to change that. Well, how long would that take you to change that in your own writing? How many times would you have to write something? And so when teachers say to me, or when teachers are worried, like we've been working on capitals, but they're not doing capitals or they're not doing, mm -hmm. it's like, but you've been working on it. How on some worksheets, maybe mm -hmm. a couple lessons like that. That's it. You need more than that. And they need experience with writing it and reading it and, and all of that. It's going to take time. So it does. And it's, this is the hard thing. And I think this is another thing about workshop that I think this is why workshop can get a bad rap. Sometimes I think this is why, uh, districts, uh, phase in and out of workshop teaching a lot is because it is not a quick fix, right? It's absolutely not. And I will never sell it as that. I never have. I've never offered that. Um, what it is is a permanent fix. And so you have, Quick fixes are the things like, okay, we're going to do these grammar practices so you can answer those grammar questions on the test. Right. Cool. Right. There, there's a world of schooling where we have to do those things. I understand that. But if we're genuinely concerned about getting kids and setting them up on a path to where their language advocates for them, right? We, because it's not just, we're not trying to just create essayists and people that can write poetry and they can write, you know, uh, critical analysis. We're writing, we're teaching kids how to advocate for themselves. We live in a world where presidents are active and, and world leaders across the country or across the world are using social media to get votes, to convince people to support them, to do all these, these things. Writing and your language is literally the foundation of advocating for yourself as an adult. So if we're talking just real world scenarios, it's not okay to teach kids that writing is just for performative practices in order to answer test questions or to get something right in the grade book. It's literally your livelihood. The difference between you getting a job and someone else getting a job, maybe that first paragraph on your resume, it may be how well you can advocate for yourself in an email, right? If you're, if you're trying to, you know, there's tons of kids who they want to start podcasting and be uh, brand influencers. They want to be all of those things. The people that are best at that, are great communicators mm -hmm. and they don't, they might not always show that in written form, mm -hmm. but they're writing ads, they're writing emails. They're, they're able to communicate to business partners. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to think about that when your first graders not capitalizing on their paper. Right. And mm -hmm. it's hard to have that bigger vision, mm -hmm. but it's so much more than that. Get them to care about what they're writing and say, you know, why we capitalize, you know, yeah, it's proper, mm -hmm. but we do it because it's a sign of this is something important. This is a name, right? This is, this is something that is significant. And if we're communicating, if we're telling someone about the best days of our lives and we really care about this and we want them to understand it, we want them to know that, hey, this is why this is so important. And you get kids to think like that and get them to just be metacognitive, not this is the rule you have to do it, but you care about this. Let's try to give the reader every chance that they can have to understand how important this is to you it's going to change how kids react to the corrective measures that you're putting into your workshop. Right. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes teachers try to give the purpose behind it. And maybe mm -hmm. in, you know, I know for me, when I was talking about mini lessons and the teaching point, you want to have the reason like the purpose in there, but sure. sometimes we just do it one time 
and that's it, right? We don't really, yeah. we don't really make sure they understand it and and can tell it back to us, or um, sometimes not even that connection to reading and how it's important for the reader, um, or how it helps the reader when you're writing and things like that. So it's not just a one and done thing, like you said, it's not a quick fix, um, but a permanent fix. I love that. I love that idea of it being more permanent. It just has to take time. It's not going to happen. You know, I say I say that too to a lot of teachers who are just so worried about what their writers are doing that right now in their classroom. And I said, but they have so many more years. You are one piece in this mm -hmm. puzzle for them. And there are things that they're going to get from you and some things they're not going to take away from you yet because they're not ready or what have you. But then someone else is going to be a part of that journey. You know, you can't do everything right now. <laughs> you can't. It's, it's planting the seeds, right? It's, right. It's the, you know, my mom read all the time at when I was younger and I always wanted to read because of that. And I was a struggling reader. It took me a while to really like start reading, reading. Um, but eventually like it became because I, there was books in the house, you know, eventually I be, I became the reader that I wanted to be. Right. Um, but when we're, so when we're teaching young people, your how they have a relationship with writing in your class will directly affect how they approach writing in the next in the next year, regardless of if the next teacher has the same philosophy as you mm -hmm. or, the, or the same mentality, right? They might go to a teacher that is the opposite, right? They're just, you're, you're all workshop. You're like, let's go, let's, let's give choice, voice, student agency. The next teacher is absolutely not. What you've done isn't going to diminish that. They're going to know the difference, but mm -hmm. they're going to have such a positive relationship with writing that they're like, yeah, I really hate this class, but they're still going to have a positive connection. I think that's super important to think about too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. To remember what you can give to them and, and think about what you want to give to them, right? What do I want them to leave me knowing or doing or feeling about writing? I love that. Hey, writing teacher. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have been enjoying this episode as much as I enjoyed it. Um, in part two, we really start talking more about the book Rightfully Empowered and get to hear Jacob's take on a lot of the things that he has written about in the book. So please join us next week where we head into part two with Mr. Jacob Chastain. again. I am so happy to have had you listen in again today. I would like to ask a little favor. If you're enjoying the podcast, could you take a moment to go wherever it is that you listen and write a review and tell others what you find um, so great about these episodes? I would love to be able to share it with more teachers to help them in their writing instruction, just as hopefully I've been helping you. Thank you so much. 